Heavenly Father, we do ask this morning for your blessing upon this time as we delve into your, the pages of your scriptures together. Lord, we pray that you may move amongst us by your Holy Spirit. May we be convicted of our sinfulness and turn to Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we may want to be like him and live as he did for your glory. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, sometimes you have to ask the question when you're in certain situations, when do you leave and when do you stay? Should you stay in that situation or should you leave? And this is a question that sometimes we have to ask about the different ministries that we may be involved in as well, particularly the work that we do for the Lord. And I think most of you here know by now that my plans here as a pastor are to stay. I plan to stay here for the rest of my uh, would you say career, for the rest of my life, uh, so to speak. I would like to stay here for as long as you will have me. I should always remember that. It is a congregational church here, and, uh, and so the rector is not king, as he is in some other denominations. Uh, so uh, I have to remember that. But my plan is to stay here uh, for as long as I possibly can, because I believe that will have an effective ministry, particularly on the residents here in Des Moines, and also amongst you as I get to know you over the years. Sometimes we have to consider in certain ministries within a subset of ministry that we have to move on or we have to be quiet, particularly when certain circumstances arise. When you're witnessing to one person in particular, sometimes there may be a place to move on, to not witness to that person at least for a time. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning as we begin to look again at the life of Jesus Christ. I first started a sermon series in John when I began here at Des Moines Baptist uh, six and a half years ago. I preached for three months on John's Gospel, got up to the end of chapter three and stopped and moved on to another part of the Bible, other parts of the Bible, I should say, and have never been back. And so I thought after six and a half years, uh, it might be time to return. And so we're going to pick up in John chapter four, verses one through to verse three, and continue our series, which we began many years ago, on the life of Jesus according to John. And so we're going to be looking at this morning verses 1 through to verse 3 of John chapter 4, which is found on page 1052 of the Black Church Bibles. And we're going to look at how Jesus leaves a mission field. And why did he leave this mission field as recorded in John chapter 4 verses 1 and 3? And so my first main point this morning, and as we unpack this these few verses together is to understand that the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining more disciples than John. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining more disciples than John. If you want to follow my main points, they're there listed on the back of the church bulletin. And the first is that the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining more disciples than John. And we see that in verse 1 of John chapter 4. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Now, when we see this, we've got to ask, well, who is this guy, John? Well, of course, it's John the Baptist. John the Baptist has featured prominently in the first few pages of John's Gospel. In John chapter 1, he is mentioned and a little bit is given about him and his uh, interaction with Jesus. And then even in chapter 3, in the passage immediately before John chapter 4, John the Baptist is mentioned again. And it's not surprising, when we consider it, that John was starting to have less disciples than Jesus. John was indeed very popular. Many people were going out to be baptized by him in the Jordan River. But 
Jesus, once he comes along, starts to gain even more disciples than John. Why is that? Why is it not surprising? Well, you just consider what John the Baptist himself was saying about Jesus. Just look back to those verses that we just had read for us from John chapter 3, verse 25 and following. It says there that an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, so that's the, uh, John's disciples, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. John's disciples are a little bit worried. Their hero is starting to lose disciples. And you expect then, oh, well, John's going to say something disparaging about Jesus. No, what does John say? To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is, it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. John is saying, the relationship that I have with Jesus is as a friend to a bridegroom. I'm like the best man at the wedding. And who's more important at a wedding? The best man or the bridegroom? It's the bridegroom. It's always the bridegroom. And so if John is the best man, then he should want people to leave him and go and join the bridegroom. It should make sense that a lot of transfer growth is happening in Jesus' ministry from the work that John had done, and it's going over to Jesus Christ. And we actually see that that was taking place. Now, some disciples stuck around John. They hung around John. But some disciples did leave. If we look back to John chapter 1, John chapter 1, turn with me a few pages earlier. John chapter 1, verse 35. John 1, verse 35. Jesus has been baptized by John. And we read in verse 35, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Here we see a transfer of Andrew and another disciple over to Jesus from John's crowd. So Andrew was initially a disciple of John the Baptist. Now he becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ and he starts bringing other people along as well. He brings that person that we know very well, the apostle Peter, his brother, to Jesus. And so you've got these disciples who are transferring from John who are great evangelists, really. They're going out and telling other people and drawing them to Jesus Christ at the same time. So it's not surprising that Jesus was gaining more disciples than John the Baptist. And then it's not surprising then that, of course, reached the ears of the Pharisees. They heard that a large group of people was being gathered to Jesus and it was actually getting bigger than that group that was previously there with John the Baptist. 
What else do we learn from this passage that the Pharisees heard about Jesus? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was baptizing more disciples than John. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was baptizing more disciples than John. Now, we have to understand uh, that this is said there in verse 1, that he was baptizing more disciples than John. And we read that in verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. But we have to understand that this is not a true report. And John, the apostle, not John the Baptist, the, John the author of the book, he gives us a little uh, extra information there in verse 2 about this. It says, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So it's a bit of a false report that's going around that Jesus is gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Yes, he's gaining disciples, but he's not necessarily baptizing them himself. He's not baptizing them himself, which is an important, note to, uh, to, uh, important thing to note, considering the fact that some people in the early church really prided themselves on who baptized them. It was seen to be a great thing to have been baptized by particular big shots in the early church. And an example of this is given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Turn with me there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, which is found on page 1128. One Corinthians chapter 1, page 1128, where Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he says in verse 10, read with me from verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I'm thankful that I did not baptize any of you, except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You can see there in the early church there were divisions within one church as people were saying, well, I got baptised by Paul. I got baptised by Peter. I got baptised by Apollos. And it was creating divisions. Imagine if you'd be able to say, I got baptised by Jesus. Now you would be in the special group, wouldn't you? You'd be right there up the front of church or maybe you get to sit in the back row. People don't like the front rows of church generally. Maybe the back rows would be reserved for you because you were baptized by Jesus. And so I think John is aware of this and he just puts in this little disclaimer here that although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but it was his disciples. But nonetheless, what we have to understand is that this fact going round that Jesus is gaining more disciples and baptizing them than John illustrates that a real change is actually happening in the lives of these people who are following Jesus Christ. It's not surprising that the Pharisees would be concerned about this because if people are saying that they're a disciple of Jesus, that's one thing. But if they're actually being baptized, that's another thing. That means that they're really keen on 
identifying themselves with Jesus Christ and his teachings. Just as people were keen to be baptised by John the Baptist and identify with the teachings of John the Baptist. When you get baptised, you are making a fairly bold and public statement about your beliefs. It's one thing to sit there and say, yes, yes, I'm a Christian. But if you are baptised, you're taking a next step and engaging in a religious rite, so to speak, that most people would identify, okay, you're really a part of that crowd now. I was actually listening to a uh, talk um, a few weeks ago where I was talking about a Hindu and how he converted from Hinduism over to Christianity. And his family was actually quite okay with it. They said, yes, yes, it's okay for you to follow the Christian God and follow Jesus, that's okay. But don't you get baptised. They actually pointed that out. We're happy for you to go along to church. We're happy for you to say that you believe in Jesus and everything. But don't get baptised. And it's because the Hindu family knows that once you get baptised, you're signing up completely. It's no longer you're just following along, you're just engaging, you're thinking about these things and you're identifying as a Christian somewhat. But when you get baptised, you're actually engaging in a religious rite and you're publicly declaring that I am now a part of that community. I am truly a Christian. And so as this report starts to spread, it is a report that's kind of scary to the Pharisees, isn't it? Because it's a report that Jesus is gaining disciples, but they're also getting baptised, which means these guys are fair dinkum. These guys are real disciples of Jesus Christ. They're getting baptised. They're identifying with the teachings of Jesus Christ. So what is the result of this news that is coming to the Pharisees? The Pharisees hear that Jesus was gaining and baptising more disciples than John. Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. The Pharisees were the reason Jesus left. The Pharisees were the reason Jesus left. We read in verse 3, when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Jesus leaves, which sounds a bit crazy when you think about it. Things are getting good. He's gaining lots of disciples. They're being baptised. They're identifying with his teachings. And he's actually getting more than John the Baptist had. And John the Baptist had quite the following. And surely you would say, okay, well, maybe some people don't like what you're doing. And maybe rumours are being spread that are a bit false. And we already know one of the rumours is false, that Jesus was actually doing the baptising. wasn't quite correct. But you say, oh, don't worry about that. There's no such thing as bad publicity, is there? Even if people are making stuff up about you, all publicity is good publicity, isn't it? Don't leave a ministry that's really taking off here. It's going great guns. Why would Jesus want to leave? Well, I think it's pretty easy to connect the dots that Jesus knows the Pharisees will end up persecuting him and killing him if he stays in that particular situation as he continues to gain more disciples who are actually identifying with the faith that he is teaching. How do we know this? Well, we just have to look at how they reacted with John the Baptist. Firstly, the disciples, uh, the Pharisees, if they hear about Jesus engaging in this way, going about this kind of ministry, they will come and confront him and ask him questions about what he's doing as they did with John. Just turn with me back to John chapter 1, verse 19. 
John chapter 1, verse 19, page 1049. John chapter 1, verse 19, we read, Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Here we see religious leaders coming to find out who John is. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I'm the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent, see the Pharisees are there too, questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Here we see what happens when John was gaining lots of disciples. We see uh, uh, a group is sent to make some inquiries of John and to find out what he's up to. And it's different religious groups that are sent along to make those inquiries, including the Pharisees. And that's going to happen to Jesus now if he stays put. If he stays there, some religious leaders are going to start showing up and they're going to start asking some questions of him. And Jesus knows that when they come, they're going to get jealous of him and eventually persecute him and kill him, which is eventually what they did. We know that it was out of envy, out of jealousy for Jesus and his ministry that the Pharisees eventually called for his death. And we know that from Mark chapter 15, verse 9 and 10, where we read uh, Pilate is talking to Jesus as Jesus has been arrested. And Pilate, we read, says to him, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? He asked the crowd. And it says there in verse 10, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. It was out of envy that they'd handed Jesus over. Now, later on in Jesus' life, he willingly goes to die. But at this point in time, he's not willing to die. There's quite a recurring phrase in the gospel saying that he, his time had not yet come. He still had other work to do. An example of that is in John chapter 7, verse 6 where Jesus tells his own brothers, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify to what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I'm not yet going up to this feast because for me, the right time has not yet come. His own brothers were encouraging him to be a public figure in John chapter 7, which comes after what we're looking at today. And he was saying, no, I'm not ready for this. My time has not yet come. People will hate me if I go there publicly and teach in that way. And I'm not ready for that yet. It will come, but it's not now. And so Jesus knew that there is a good reason here to walk away from a certain situation. In fact, a certain situation that seems to be the best kind of situation. Things are going well. He seems to be a great success. And yet Jesus knows that it's God's will for him to walk away from that situation. Is there a lesson for you this morning from the actions of Jesus here in John chapter 4? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point this morning. Sometimes 
We should walk away from certain opportunities. Sometimes we should walk away from certain opportunities. Yes, it's always important to teach the gospel and make disciples. We should want to see Jesus gaining disciples. We should want to be like John the Baptist, be the, the best man of the bridegroom, Jesus, and want to point people to Jesus. We shouldn't want to gain disciples for our own selves. I would hate to think that anyone here is a convert of Joel Radford or a disciple of Joel Radford. That would be terrible. I want you to be a convert of Jesus Christ. I want to be the best man that points you to Christ. And if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, there's nothing better for you to be, in my view, in the Bible's view, and in the view of many people here this morning, then you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You need to turn from your sin and accept his work at the cross for yourself, that he died at the cross in your place. Because if you do that, then you can have eternal life. Your sins are forgiven and you can reign with Jesus Christ for all eternity in heaven itself. But if you are a Christian, you have to know that at some times you have to walk away from certain situations. And sometimes they are situations where things seem to be going really well and you're being greatly blessed. But you have to have insight into those situations and understand what is God's will for you in that particular situation. Now, what sort of circumstances may you be in where you need to walk away? Well, it may be that you need to actually flee bodily persecution, like Jesus did. Now, this isn't something that we have to face as a reality here in Australia yet, but for many people around the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ, could we blame them for fleeing from those who attack them because they believe in Jesus Christ? because they're following the teachings of Jesus. Jesus walked away. Could we blame our brothers and sisters in Christ for fleeing so that they're able to save their bodies from death? Sometimes it may be appropriate to stand your ground, but sometimes it may be right and good to run as fast as you can in the opposite direction. What about here in Australia? We don't have to worry about that so much, this death that could come from those who would persecute us like the Pharisees did, were going to do to Jesus. But sometimes we need to flee from burning out. I think this is particularly important for those who are religious leaders. Like Jesus avoided death here, sometimes people can give themselves a premature death by continually adding more and more ministries to their workload and they end up dying prematurely because they just burn out. They can't come to grips with the fact that they've got so many opportunities and let some of them go. They can't come to grips with the fact that they aren't God and so they can't answer everybody's problems. They can't evangelize the entire world and so they just try and do everything but they end up burning out. And that may be for you as well. You've only got so many hours in the day. Yes, you're meant to use those hours for God's glory but you've also got to be careful of yourself. You've got limits, bodily limits, and you have to make sure that you're prioritizing certain ministries and walking away from others which may be there and available to you so that you can preserve yourself so you continue having ministries into the future. What are other examples of situations where you may need to walk away from blossoming ministries? Well, sometimes you need to flee from sin that may come about 
in those circumstances that you're in. Now, of course, this doesn't apply to Jesus. Jesus was without sin. He didn't flee from the Pharisees because he was afraid that he might have some sort of uh, sinful response. But for some people in the world, Christians, who are evangelizing, doing great ministry for God's work, and it's growing. They're gaining more and more people for, for Jesus. But there's actually a great risk of sin coming about in their ministry, particularly the sin of pride. See, some ministers, as they gain more and more people into their churches, they become more and more proud, and then they fall into some sort of serious sin, and it just undermines all the work that they've done. There was a pastor who was quite popular in the States a few years ago, and I did enjoy listening to him somewhat. Um, he, he was always a bit of a comedian. Um, you weren't sure how how to take some of his sermons, how irreverent they may have been. Um, and so I stopped listening to him after a time. But he was immensely popular. His churches were growing greatly. I should say churches, like he was having all these multi-sites, campuses, all around uh, the states. And then it became apparent that he had real problems with pride and leading with leader, um, dealing with other leaders. Um, he just couldn't do it and it's just undermined and the guy's not working currently in ministry at all. Maybe he should have been walking away from some of those opportunities that were being given to him. And maybe you need to consider whether you need to walk away from something so that you can concentrate on other areas that some ministries should take priority over what you're currently doing. And sometimes you may need to simply bow out of certain ministries because others are getting jealous. That's what Jesus is sort of doing here as well, isn't it? He knows the Pharisees are going to get very jealous and so he bows out graciously and goes to another area. And sometimes we may need to do that as well. It can do great harm for the, to the Christian witness if you've got Christians who are jealous of one another's ministries and constantly fighting with one another to gain the more, it'd be just better if, let's, let's face it, yes, they, um, it's not good that they're fighting at all and maybe someone's not using the right methods, but Paul says that it's just great that they preach Christ, even if it is our selfish ambition, he says in Philippians. It's great, he, he loves it when people preach Christ, even if it is our selfish ambition. And if someone's preaching Christ our selfish ambition and they're envious of you and your ministry, just let it go. Move on, go on to other fields, and let that person maybe gain those disciples that you've had. An example of this in church history I um, quite admire is George Whitfield with John Wesley. John Wesley is quite well known for the Methodist uh, movement that came, uh, basically he started it up, even though he remained a church Anglican. Afterwards it became, uh, once he passed away, it became Methodist, uh, the Methodist movement. And... But the origins of the Methodist movement are actually George Whitfield, a Calvinist preacher, who saw many people come through great revival to churches that he was uh, operating in, and people were following him, and then his friend John Wesley started to operate uh, and started to preach the gospel as well, and eventually they had a falling out. And large numbers of people transferred over to John Wesley, and George Whitfield just let it go. Very interesting uh, story about those two men, uh, both great men in church history, but uh, interesting how the two of them interacted with one another. And, uh, and George Whitfield was just willing to let it go, let these people follow John, I'll move on to other areas. And he crossed uh, over to the United States and had fruitful ministries over there, uh, but would come back to England at times as well. And maybe that's what you need to do as well. If someone's really jealous of what you're doing, just 
let it go and move on to other ministries. So what is your measure of the will of God in your ministry? Is it numbers of people? That's so often the measure of whether you're having a successful ministry and whether you should continue in something. If lots of people are becoming Christians under what you're doing, then you've got to stay there. You've got to continue. Jesus doesn't. He walks away. And so sometimes we need to assess, what are our priorities? Are we giving more of our time to something that seems to be blossoming, but really we should be giving our time to something else? I've heard of ministers walking away from the ministry altogether to evangelize to their parents. They've actually left the ministry, but they realize their parents aren't believers. And so they, they were previously living on the other side of the world, and they actually leave the church on that side of the world, move back to where their parents live, so they can witness, prioritize their parents. Sometimes it's right to go back to just a few that should be a priority in your life because these ministers recognize no one's going to witness to them. If I'm not living there with my grandkids around them, uh, with their grandkids around them, I take my kids back and, and I'll have a relationship with them and I might be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ and they take up secular work again. Are they being like Jesus, walking away from blossoming ministries? because they recognize that their priority should be there for their immediate family. What is your measure of the will of God in your life? It's something that we struggle to understand, the will of God at different points in our lives, but we have to be very careful about simply using the measure of success by the world's eyes of numbers. Jesus followed the will of God and left a large following when it seemed crazy. Are you ready, like Jesus, to give up certain ministries, certain work, for God's sake, because you see that they're a more important priority than what you're currently doing? Let us become before our God in prayer now. Let us speak with him. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and what it tells us about your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, it is such a hard example to follow, to follow the Son of God and to be like him when we are frail, sinful creatures. Lord, we pray that you may give us great wisdom to know what is your will for our life, what we should be doing in any and every circumstance. We pray for guidance. We pray for wisdom. And, Lord, we pray that we may do everything we can for your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.